Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I would like to warn everybody listening right now that the episode you are about to listen to is indeed very, very scary. If you are in any way squeamish or frightened by true stories that actually happened while movies were filming on sets, I suggest you turn off whatever phone, tablet, or computer you are listening to my voice on right now. Just go away, turn it off! I'm just kidding, guys. It's the Halloween episode, and I wanted to bring a very special horror edition about real-life scary events that happened while filming horror movies, so I'm going to talk about that. I knew I was going to do the whole movies that made you emotional, but I realized, oh, crap, I got to get the Halloween special out that I've been working out before that, so that's also to come later. Wait for that episode next week. I'll also be talking about my favorite Halloween movies to watch every year. And then I will do a non-Halloween movie review because Borat came out over the weekend and it's a movie I was so excited for. And let's just say I'm frightened by how good it was. So there we go. It fits the theme. Thanks for listening and checking out the podcast. I hope that you, like me, are also in the Halloween spirit and will enjoy this episode. And without any further ado, let's get started. (laughs) In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to end the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast a man with so much movie knowledge he's basically like a walking imdb with glasses from the national podcast network this is movie mike's movie podcast halloween week and we're about to talk about terrifying events that actually happen while filming scary movies and i'll get into that but first of all i just want to talk about why i love halloween so much and it all starts with my love of horror movies and i think it all came for me when i was a kid because watching a horror movie as a kid always felt like doing something you weren't supposed to be doing because a lot of them were rated r and a lot of it was your parents not wanting you to watch something scary because you'd be terrified later and we didn't listen we would watch these movies anyway And I remember the first time I binge watched all the Halloween movies that it was a truly terrifying experience for me because not only was I scared watching the movie, 
But that's the first movie that ever really gave me nightmares. And every year I just have this infatuation with watching scary movies anytime October rolls around. Now, I've never been much of a person to dress up or do anything like that for Halloween. As a kid, we didn't really have a whole lot of money for costumes or anything. So that was never really a part of my growing up. Like we would still go trick or treating, but we'd always just put together like some old T-shirts or some random assortment that we could turn into a kind of costume. And the most we would ever spend money on is buying like fake blood to douse it in. So I never had like a superhero costume or anything really like that. But I just like the idea of staying home and watching horror movies. The other good thing now as an adult, what I like about Halloween is the, the one holiday really where there's no expectations of anything. You don't have to make real plans. You don't have to do anything special for this holiday. There's no plans of visiting family or any kind of pressure to do that. All it is is having maybe some Halloween candy and watching some scary movies. So that's a perfect holiday for me. And I've always just loved the horror genre. I don't really find myself getting scared by movies anymore. I think I've just watched so many and been desensitized so much that even stuff that goes on in the real world is a lot scarier than sometimes things in movies. But I like to see concepts done differently because I believe the horror genre, there's a lot of kind of repetition of what can go down in a horror movie. There's, it's almost formulaic to an extent. And when somebody comes and takes a concept of a movie and is able to kind of spin it in a different way and present it in a whole new style, that's when it really gets interesting. So I'll get into a little bit of that on some of the recommendations I have for you guys. But, but first, I want to talk about scary things that actually happened on movie sets. Now, there's a lot of crazy stories. Some of them could be entirely true. Some of them, I believe they could be fabricated a little bit to, I don't know, maybe give these movies a little bit more of a, a legacy or just kind of create this illusion that goes on into a movie. And I'll also talk about some of my own paranormal experiences, if that's how you can describe them, because I kind of feel like I can relate to what some of these actors experienced while they were filming these movies. And you got to think about it. When you're filming a horror movie, especially any one that has to do with like possession or any kind of demon or monster, that has to be a weird set to be on. I watched this whole kind of documentary on YouTube about the making of The Exorcist. And that is just such an intense set to be on, it looks like, because while they're filming the movie, they're filming this possession going on. But there's people behind the screens, and it just feels weird to yell, like, cut on a movie like that. But yet you have this girl possessed in this bed, tied to this bed. And it, even though you're filming something, it feels like there's not really a disconnect between reality and what is being portrayed on the screen and done, you know, for a movie. So I think that's a lot of why these movies have all of this kind of aura and this essence to them. And it probably starts messing with their minds when they're filming this movie. So... I mentioned The Exorcist, and we'll start there. It came out in 1973. Probably one of the biggest horror movies of all time because it is just so much of a movie that messes with your mind and is terrifying. And it's just widely known to have this curse around it. So they say they saw a lot of just creepy events happen while filming this movie. And that included the guy who plays Brooke Dennings in the movie, he actually died just a few days before his part of the movie wrapped. There was another special effects worker and a security guard that also died while the movie was in production. But not only that, the entire set to the movie burned down. Like the whole house that it happened in actually burned down for no apparent reason. And they ended up having to rebuild that set. So a lot of things going on here. The deaths maybe could be explained and maybe even be an unrelated thing, but... 
to have a house burn down and there be no real explanation why, you gotta have to start to wonder if there was something really going on here. So after all those crazy events happened, they're back filming in the new set, the director actually had to have a priest come on set and perform an exorcism and to bless the set before they started filming. And they said, you know, really, that didn't do a whole lot because a lot of creepy things were still happening. And not only that, but once the movie was actually in theaters, there was like several cases of audience members suffering heart attacks and having to be taken away from the movie theaters. But also remember, this was in 1973. So I also think audiences at that time maybe weren't so used to seeing something so terrifying on set that it could maybe cue something like that. But there's just a lot of mystery and unknown to this movie that you wonder whether or not that could really happen. Could somebody be possessed? Could there be something actually cursing the set? Now we fast forward about 40 years later in 2005, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I remember watching this movie in theaters and pretty much being terrified as well. There's just something about an exorcism movie that really makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck because you almost feel, while it's still kind of based in reality of things that could actually happen to someone, and even though they're taken to such extremes in this movie and also in the original Exorcism Stuff like this actually happens around the world. So you're kind of in that state of mind to where it's not such a far-fetched idea. But you have Jennifer Carpenter starring as Emily Rose in this movie. And she said she experienced some things not really on set but in her hotel room. So her alarm clock in her hotel room would actually turn off and on just randomly. And each time it would do that, the radio would actually come on and it was playing the Pearl Jam song called Alive. And it would actually come on like at the lyric when he's like, I'm alive. So could you imagine being in your hotel room while you're filming an exorcism movie and this song comes on? Sounds a little crazy and you wonder if it really happened, but apparently other cast members also claimed that their radios in their rooms would turn off and on. If I'm in those hotel room, I'm getting out of there. I'm sleeping in my car. I'm doing something else. I'm not being around. Anything turning off and on. Could it have been something going on with the set and the content of the movie? Could it be the director messing with the cast members? Because that could also be a thing, too. If you're intentionally messing with your cast members to get a rise out of them, to get a performance out of them, I could see some trickery here. Find out how to go into their rooms and, you know, maybe set the alarm to go off at a certain amount of time and have that song being played. Because that's a little much, too much of a coincidence, I would say, that one, it keeps going off and on, but it ironically is playing a song like this and freaking them out. Maybe the director wanted to put his cast in a state of mind of like, okay, maybe something's going on here. It makes you terrified and gives you much more of a real performance. I think that could also be a theory here. Just a little bit of a movie conspiracy theory on my end. Now, another one of my favorite horror movies was The Conjuring. And it's a little bit more of a recent one. came out in 2013. And up to seeing this movie, it had been a very long time until a movie had scared me the way it did. And I think it was because how smart they were about using ghosts and demons in this movie of kind of just showing them when it was at the really scariest part of the movie and they did it in a way to where it was actually terrifying I felt like like it wasn't really cheesy in any way it wasn't really just a cheap jump scare it was at moments where it made sense in the movie and was equally terrifying and this was one that really kind of scared me but there was also some crazy things that happened on this set And I recently saw an interview with Joey King, who was a kid in this movie, that while filming this movie, she just developed a weird blood condition. 
And if you remember in this movie that the mom is the one who gets possessed and she starts seeing all these weird bruises on her arm and, you know, there's no really explanation to it. She goes to the doctor to get checked out. So that whole thing is happening with her character in this movie. While filming this, the kid in it, Joey King, kind of had the same thing happen to her to where she started seeing some bruises on her body and then went to get checked out. And apparently she had this crazy kind of blood condition that just came out of nowhere. She just never had any kind of illness like this, but... Here she is with kind of a what they're saying could be leading to the early stages of leukemia or some kind of blood disorder. So she gets put on medication, still continues to film the movie, has all these weird feelings and just doesn't feel like herself. But then the disease just goes away like she goes back, gets another test and there's no traces of it again. That is insane. The other creepy thing about this movie is it is based on a true story. And this actually happened to a family, and the investigators in this movie are a real couple. Now, the real family actually came on the set to kind of check it out while they were filming. And while they came onto the set, like, this weird, strong wind came out of nowhere and just appeared, and everybody felt it, but yet around them, the trees didn't move. So, (laughs) a pretty unexplained event there. But then the worst part came just a couple days later when there was a fire at their hotel room. And everyone had to be evacuated. The director, James Wan, also said that while he was working on the movie in his office one evening that his dog just started growling at something. And it's just something about dogs or even cats looking or growling at something that is just equally terrifying. He said his dog was just kind of focused on some kind of entity on the other side of the room, yet there was nothing there. Also, one of the actors who played one of the paranormal investigators in the movie actually refused to take the script home with her. Because she said it made her feel uneasy and that she couldn't read it at night because she would become so paralyzed with fear. And that she even remembers at one point opening her laptop to see three slashes across the screen like it had been like a dog paw that like kind of crossed over it. Now that's pretty creepy. And I kind of relate to this feeling of being paralyzed with fear. And it was even pretty close to when this movie came out to where I experienced something paranormal in my own life. Now... I've since not been able to explain it. I since have always kind of wondered that it would ever come back and have luckily never experienced it really since then. But I had what I later self-diagnosed as sleep paralysis. Now, I remember I was living in Austin. I was staying in an apartment with my brother. And I had just a mattress that I would sleep on the living room floor with. And the first night this happened to me, I'd never been more terrified and kind of like this paralyzing fear that she would feel is what I felt. And I would go to sleep and at some point I would kind of wake up and be awake, but not really. And how it would start is I would feel like somebody was pulling the covers from me, like literally at the end of my bed, grabbing the covers and pulling them down. And I would feel this and then I would go and try and pull the covers back up. And I would like I would I remember that feeling of pulling them back up and they would instantly be jerked like there was someone at the someone at the end of the bed pulling it down. And I would just kind of be like, what is happening right now in my dreaming room? Am I really experiencing this? And I could never really break that kind of. It didn't feel like a dream. I even sometimes could like see myself as if I was like floating on the top of the room and seeing this happen to myself. So that was like the first time it happened. Not as intense. But then it would happen several times after that to where it would begin again of like 
something pulling the covers from me and me trying to yank them up. And it would get more intense later on to where it felt like somebody was like straight up pushing them down on me and forcing them down and like wrapping me up in them. And I would try to like move and push myself up and it would come back down even harder. And this was scary. And the worst it ever got was to where I almost felt like there was somebody like sitting on top of me and I couldn't move. And I was, again, it felt like I was outside of my body watching this happen, like, like it was in a movie. And I went to try to like scream and just make some kind of sound. And I was just paralyzed by silence and I couldn't do anything. Like I was just stuck there. And that was the worst it ever got. I would try to, again, try to pull the covers. They would come down even harder and it just felt like this weight of something sitting on top of me. And the last time it happened, it was a little less severe, but it was something that woke me up almost like whispering, but yet yelling at the same time in my ear. It said, hey. And that's what freaked me out. And I would get so scared every time I thought it was happening again that I remembered like falling asleep and thinking, oh no, this is happening again. Even like I would feel a tug on the covers or anything. I was like, it's going to happen full on again. And since then... I never really came back. Now, I was thinking about this before I started talking about this today. Then it only happened at that apartment that I lived in. Hasn't happened since. Um, my kind of immediately re- immediate reaction when it did happen, I was like, maybe I, it's because I was so unhealthy at the time. And I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping a whole lot. I thought maybe that messed with me. And I did get healthier after. That's kind of when I lost all the weight that I did. And... Maybe that had a factor to do why it never happened to me again. But thinking back, like it only happened in that apartment. So I will not going be going back to that apartment anytime soon. And if they wanted to film a movie there, maybe there's a haunting they can look into to that movie. But that's my kind of paranormal experience. And I feel it when I think about these exorcism movies and what these actors experience. It's creepy. One of the most kind of famously haunted movies is the entire poltergeist franchise now these movies came out in the 80s and all the scary events have to do with the actual cast so the first one came out in 1982 and this is a pretty sad and tragic story and i remember when i would look up stuff about this movie and you know look up about the kid in the poltergeist that this was pretty much the only movie she did because she died. And it was actually both kids from the movie. So Heather O'Lourke, who played little Carol Ann in the movie, and Dominique Dune, who played the older sister Dana, both died while working on the Poltergeist franchise. And Heather died actually at the age of 12 on the operating table. And that was while finishing uh, Poltergeist 3. And then Dominique was actually murdered by an ex-boyfriend a day after the first movie premiered. And those two co-stars are actually buried in the same California cemetery. But that's just some really tragic events surrounding the kind of mysterious elements to this movie. But a lot of the cast and crew also said that there were just some creepy things that happened while they were working on this movie. So much so that they actually claimed while filming the entire franchise that the set was evil. So like they did in The Exorcist, they would also have a priest come in and perform an exorcism before they got started filming. And one of the producers who actually, it was his idea to have a priest come in, he actually ended up dying during an operation before the second one was actually completed. So again, it's a scary place to put yourself in to where you are making these horror movies with these really kind of supernatural events happening. It could be a stressful situation. And it is truly sad and just tragic what has happened on some of the sets of these movies. 
Another movie was the Amityville Horror. Now, the original one came out in 1979, and it was remade in 2005 with Ryan Reynolds. And on both of those sets, the cast reported that some creepy things happened in the real life, could possibly do with the real haunting. But in the first one, actor James Brolin actually said that he didn't really want to do this role. He only accepted it as after another movie fell through, and that he remembers reading the script one morning and getting to like a scary section of the story that a pair of his pants actually fell off a hanger and it kind of caused him to jump up in fright. Now, that's not a whole really big scary event, but you could imagine you're sitting there reading a script and then something falls. It's going to freak you out a little bit. I think the scarier events when they did the remake with Ryan Reynolds in 2005 that Ryan Reynolds did the same role that James Brolin did. And just before they started filming, a dead body washed up onto shore right before and right by where the movie was being filmed. And now, here we are again going back to the alarm clock thing, because throughout the entire filming of this movie, Ryan Reynolds, along with some other cast and crew, said that they would all keep waking up at 3.15 a.m. each morning. And that's actually the same time that the real-life murders took place in the actual events of the Amityville Horror. This is also a theme in other movies, too. I was talking about... Emily Rose earlier and in that movie every night at 3 a.m. she would wake up to the smell of like rotten meat at 3 a.m. or the smell of burning and it's all has to do around what they call it like the witching hour and I remember that freaking me a lot too as a kid because you would wake up at random times at night and you would think like oh man am I waking up at this time because of what they did in the movie again this could also be just the fact that you're filming a movie you're in that kind of state of mind that it starts messing with your head if it is 315 in the story and also 3.15 that you're waking up, you wonder if you're just having nightmares because you're living this every day. Even though you're acting, it is still messing with your brain. And actually, in my interview with Jonathan Lipnicki uh, last week, that's what I asked him. Like, if you're filming a movie like this, like, do you have nightmares? Because anything I do in my real life, it kind of affects what I dream at night. If I'm doing something terrifying, I think it's going to affect the way I go about my day-to-day life, no matter if it is real or not. Also, a spinoff of the movie The Conjuring is Annabelle, which is about the possessed doll. And while they were filming this movie, they actually spotted like three little claw marks in an area that hadn't been dust or cleaned in years. But in the movie, the monster, the demon they show does have three fingers. So they wondered, well, is something crazy happening here? And there's also a part in the movie where a janitor has a death scene in a certain area of a hallway And then in real life, that actual actor got injured at that same time while they were not filming. And there's some speculation here because they actually went and visited the real doll that this movie was based on. And you wonder, well, can you really carry spirits with you? Like, is that something not to be messed with, even if you're making a movie about that? That's kind of the theme I saw here is a lot of these directors and actors felt like there was some kind of spirit or something paranormal any kind of force that was telling them they didn't want this movie to be made and I kind of had a theory on that because if there was any kind of spirit would they really be disturbed of the fact or even know what was happening like did they know they're making a movie about their story I don't think so I think if anything it's just them messing with people around them I don't really think they care whether or not this director or not gets their shot or gets their movie made in the end. I think if there were really spirits, they're not going to be moving your movie props or ruining your film, which has happened to some of these directors they claim. Some even claim that they've had like marks of 666 show up on 
their footage or had actually entire days worth of footage destroyed. Now, there's also a really sad story regarding The Omen, another really creepy movie. The original came out in 1979, where the lead actor actually found out that his son had committed suicide. Also, a crew member lost his life in a head-on collision on his way driving to the set. Another one of the writers almost died in a plane crash when it was hit by lightning. Now, that's just a crazy story in itself. And then later, an actual plane crash did take place, killing several of the members of the crew. So there are more instances like this where horror movies get made and things happen on set. And I'll leave you with this. Some of these I felt were just fatal accidents and unfortunate that they happened surrounding the filming of some of these movies. Some of these could also just be coincidences. And then maybe some of these are actual evil curses surrounding some of these movies and themes throughout. If you make a movie about an exorcism, expect some creepy things to happen while you're making that movie. Also expect that it's going to be messing with you psychologically. So were some of these stories true? Yes. Were other events maybe just something messing with your mind? Yeah, probably that too. Is it fun to talk about? All yes. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now I want to talk about my top five movies to watch every single Halloween. Also threw this question out on my Facebook page. If you don't follow me over there, it's just facebook.com slash Mike Distro. Wanted to see what you guys thought as well. And what I found 
is there's a good balance of movies that are actually scary and just Halloween-themed movies. And that's what I like about Halloween. It could have that fun, playful, just getting dressed up and, you know, kind of the eeriness of Halloween without it being full-on gore. But yet, on the other side, there are the extremely just slasher movies. There are also just paranormal movies. So it's a really kind of wide genre when you think about it. So I think that's what kind of made my list. It's the Halloween movies that also kind of make you feel good and make you remember your childhood, but also the new stuff or even just the classics. So at number five, I had to put Casper. Now, the original one came out in the 90s. And it's just something about this movie that's kind of nostalgic. The CGI ghosts aren't that great, but there's just something special about this movie. And I remember watching it a lot as a kid, even going to Pizza Hut and getting those really weird plastic toys that you would put your hand in, if anybody remembers those from back in the day. But again, it has that humor. It has the charm. Not scary in any way, but it's just a great one to watch around Halloween every year. At number four, I got to put a classic on here, and I'm going with Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, there are a lot of these movies. I would have to say my favorite would be the original Nightmare on Elm Street and also part three, which is Dream Warriors. There's just something so special about the original movie because it's the first time you see Freddy in that iconic striped sweater. And a lot of the kills are just so memorable and unlike anything that had been done in a horror movie ever before. And just the whole concept of Freddy, of he comes to you in your dreams. And it's just such a scary concept because you always think like, oh, when you're asleep, it's like the one time you're supposed to be safe. But even that is not safe to do because you have this dude coming to kill you in your dreams. And I think what I love so much about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is how each kill was kind of special in its own way. Like nobody was just kind of killed with no reason or with no real kind of elaborate kind of set. There was always something to it. So it didn't really feel like your typical slasher movie, whether it's Johnny Depp being swallowed by a bed or somebody being killed inside a video game or just that iconic bathtub scene with Freddy's hand coming up underneath the soap bubbles. Like that's just all intense and crazy images that you got to love it every single Halloween. At number three, I mentioned it earlier, I gotta go with The Conjuring. Now, like I said, it came out in 2013, and since then, it's been the horror movie that I've kind of watched the most times since. Usually with horror movies, you get a good one watch out of them, and there's not really a whole lot of going back and rewatching it, because once you experience it, it's kind of done. But something about The Conjuring made me want to go back and watch it again and again and again to kind of see things that maybe I didn't pick up on the first time. Or just see if it was still as terrifying as I remember. Because sometimes when you watch a scary movie, the next time you watch it, you're like, why was I even scared by that? But going back and watching this one, I realized, man, they still did it really well. The demons look really convincing. And I just think it's such a scary story. It has become one of my favorites and one that I like to watch every time I'm looking for a good horror movie around Halloween. At number two, I'm going to go with the classic, and it's Hocus Pocus. And I saw this one probably the most on the Facebook comments. It's just a classic. I feel like a perfectly done movie. You have a great cast. Also has that just kind of nostalgic feel of remembering watching it. And again, it's not scary in any way, but it's just a great Halloween movie. There's no really arguing with it. If you haven't seen it or want to watch it again, it's on Disney+, and I'll definitely be busting it out this week. All right, before I get to number one, I do want to give some honorable mentions. And before I get into the honorable mentions, I want to give an honorable diss to a franchise. Now, I don't see how this movie franchise has become so beloved and so iconic. I think the character and the entire story is trash. And I'm talking about 
the Friday the 13th movies. I don't really get these movies. I think Jason is a 1D character. I don't know why they have made so many Friday the 13th movies when there's nothing special about Jason. In the first one, he's not even in it. I just think if you go back and watch all of these movies that you realize, man, a lot of these are just terrible. Nothing really happens in the very beginning. They just all go downhill. It's literally the same thing over and over and over again with no real backstory. Nothing really else gets developed. They send them to hell. They send them to space. They put them against Freddy versus Jason. I just think they're all so boring. They're terribly shot. They're, for the most part, pretty one-dimensional, just slasher movies. It's not even to, like, part four to where you get any kind of story or character arc. When he takes Manhattan, that's basically just the parody of a horror movie. The only one I can even stomach to watch is Freddy vs. Jason, and that's because Freddy Krueger is in it and actually adds something to the movie. Other than that, I think it's just a trash franchise, so don't waste your time going back and watching any of the Friday the 13th movies this Halloween. But anyway, the honorable mentions would have to be Child's Play, a movie that I couldn't even look at the film cover without getting a nightmare as a kid. Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the original and even the remake with Jessica Biel. I think that one still holds up pretty well. I did see them tease the new poster of the new one coming out. I will take a look at that, but I think this will be about the fourth reboot, so I don't know if they have anything else there left to work with. I also really like the movie Insidious. They did some spinoffs of that one, but if you want to watch the original one, that one's actually pretty scary. Also, recently I talked about the movie Alive, and a bunch of people recommended me The Train to Busan, which I just watched and got to say, another great South Korean horror zombie movie. Now, that one is free to watch on Amazon. And I'm kind of into South Korean zombie movies right now. So if you have any other recommendations for me to check out, I'm into it. All right. At number one, I'm putting not only my favorite horror movie or Halloween movie, but one of my favorite just movies altogether. When I first saw this movie, it actually made me want to film my own movies. And for a very brief period there in like junior high, I would like set up my camera and film horror movies with me and my brother and some fake blood. But the movie that did that and inspired me so much was the original Halloween. Now, the original came out back in 1978. And I think what I love so much about this movie and the process of it, it was actually filmed in four weeks. In 20 days, they filmed this entire movie. But since then, it has become one of the most iconic Halloween movies of all time. The most recognizable movie score, I would say. Like, that's the most famous theme song I can think of. There's just something chilling about these notes and about this music that you know Michael Myers is right around the corner. Now, this movie has had several reboots and sequels to come along with it, just like the Friday the 13th movies, but I feel like they actually have a lot of substance throughout. Maybe some of them aren't the best, but even up to the latest reboot, they really have something now to kind of make it fresh again. Now, the worst in the entire franchise is probably Halloween 3, where they decided to do it so differently that they took Michael Myers out of it and realized it was a pretty big mistake. But after that, they came back with parts four and five that are actually pretty solid. Halloween H2O was also a good one. I thought the Rob Zombie remakes were okay. They didn't really have the charm of the originals and they were a little more brutal than I was wanting, which is odd to say. But the one that came out recently in 2018, which is actually written 
in part by Danny McBride, who you would know from Eastbound and Down, The Righteous Gemstones, Pineapple Express. Like that guy, he's writing now on the new Halloween movies. And I think they're actually doing a really great job in those. Again, I think they've kind of recaptured what the original was and kind of made it special again. But without fail, every single Halloween, I got to throw on the original Halloween. I think it's just the ultimate Halloween classic. All right, going to get into a movie review now, non-Halloween related, because the brand new Borat movie dropped on Amazon, and I was so excited leading up to the week of this because Borat was one of my favorite movies, really kind of was something we'd never seen done before. Came out back in 2006 and followed the real-life adventures of a fictional character named Borat, who was a journalist who came to America, and all the crazy things that happened. So, before I get into my review of the sequel, here's just a little bit of the trailer. Where is everybody? They're wanting everybody to quarantine so they don't spread this virus. Could I stay in your home? I hope quarantine mm-hmm. never ends. What is more dangerous, this uh, virus? All the Democrat. Democrats. 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 Killing some of the virus. No, you can't see the virus. No, it's still there. If you think you see a virus go like that. This makes That's the right. virus sleepy. And then when it's sleeping. So let's dive into this movie. It's called Borat. Subsequent movie film came out this year straight to Amazon. And it's really the first movie to be filmed during the pandemic. And in the movie, we find our character Borat again. And in real time, it's like him now in 2020 coming back to his story. So essentially what happened after the first one is he went back to his home country of Kazakhstan and was viewed as a disgrace, basically held as a prisoner for bringing shame to their country. But then they realize, like, all right, we're going to use you again and have you go and deliver a monkey as a gift to Vice President Mike Pence. Like, that's the whole kind of plot of this movie. So they take him out, they clean him up, put him back in the old Borat suit. They send him on a boat all around the world, and he eventually comes back to the United States to where he tries to deliver this monkey to Mike Pence. When the monkey finally arrives, he finds that instead of the monkey, it's his actual daughter. So now the plan is for him to deliver his daughter as a gift to Mike Pence. So that's where we are with the plot of this movie. Again, it is as ridiculous as it sounds. What the appeal I feel to Borat is that everyone, most everyone in the movie doesn't realize that they're in a Borat film. The obstacle he had filming this movie is that the character is already known. So he addresses that in the movie like, People are recognizing me from the first movie, so I have to disguise myself so when I go out and do these stunts that it's not just people like, oh, it's Borat filming a movie. So he does that in the movie, creates these really ridiculous, elaborate costumes and disguises to pull off some of these things. And there are some actors like his daughter in the movie who are actually acting And then there are other people in this movie that they weren't aware that they were filming a Borat movie. In some cases, like there's a whole scene where they go to this dance. They were told that they were filming for another movie and they actually paid them for that. And they're like, we're going to go have you come to this dance and we're filming a different movie. But then when they were actually there and were shocked by what happened in the movie, they were like, this is is, like I'm out. Like they I think when they actually went to film the movie. They took away all their phones and all their things. So as soon as this crazy thing that I won't spoil happens in the movie, they're like, I'm out of here. And I guess later they were told that they were in a Borat movie. There's even one scene in the movie where his daughter is trying to get advice on how to be more like a woman, like ladylike. 
and they find like a real life Instagram influencer who apparently didn't realize she was in the movie until it actually came out this week. Like she's like, I was tricked into doing this. They didn't really tell me what it was for. And she even claims like, oh, I was in character still while I was filming that movie. I was portraying a different kind of influencer or whatever. Like she was kind of trying to justify what she said in the movie. But yeah, some of these people just straight up weren't told. Like in the actual scene where he goes and crashes an event where Vice President Mike Pence is speaking, like that really actually happened. And they did capture him and take him out, Sasha Baron Cohen, who was playing Borat. But at the time, they never really revealed that it was him filming this movie. And this one happened back in February. So he actually did that. There's also the new story you've probably seen come out about Rudy Giuliani, who was also pranked by Borat. And that is probably the most cringiest scene. Maybe. There's a lot of cringy scenes in this movie of the entire movie. But I think that's what this one had a little bit more of. There were some kind of... I feel like Sasha Baron Cohen put a little bit more thought into the pranks he was pulling, the references he was putting, all the jokes he kind of did, and the kind of message and ideas he was trying to put out by making this movie with this ridiculous Borat character, what he was kind of trying to expose in the statement he was trying to make. And in some parts of this movie, he even said that he had to wear a bulletproof vest for his own safety. I think with this one, there's more thought into the pranks and the bits, a little more writing that went into them that make them more funny. Like, I actually found myself laughing out loud a lot more than I expected to while watching this movie. But I think even more than that, I found it cringier to watch, which isn't a bad thing. I think any kind of movie or anything, really, that you watch and has or invokes an emotion out of you, even if it is that sense of feeling of cringe, I think that's a pretty powerful thing to do and get from a movie. So I would give it... Four out of five mustaches. If you're a fan of the original, you will most definitely be a fan of this one. Probably not a movie you should watch with your parents. But if you're looking for something completely ridiculous to watch, I would say check out the new Borat. And it's pretty cool that they skipped the whole theatrical release and made it just available on Amazon. So there you go. That is going to do it for the Halloween special this week. Hope you have a happy and fun Halloween that involves a lot of sitting on the couch and watching some horror movies. If you do end up watching any of the movies discussed on this episode, tag me in your Instagram story. Just take a picture of your TV with whatever scary movie you're watching, and I'll repost some of those throughout the weekend. It's also a great way to get a shout out, which I do every single week, whether you tag me on Instagram or send me a tweet or even comment over on my Facebook page. And this week, it is going to Silas Pace, who is on Instagram at SEHP13, who's actually a brand new listener, said he was trying out the podcast. I think he was listening to the box office bombs that became classics. So, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate anyone listening to this for the very first time. That means a lot to me. Hopefully, you enjoy it and stick around. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that follow button wherever you're listening. I have brand new episodes every single Monday. Tell a friend. Tell a co-worker, tell your husband, tell your wife. And I hope to talk to you again next Monday. Until then, later. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. 
And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.